Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we wrap up our nine-week study examining the playbook of our enemy. We will focus today's message on the end result of many of Satan's schemes, seeking to discern how the scriptures unfold these strategies as evidenced in our lives today. Thanks for joining us through this series as we look today at the ineffectiveness that is wrought in the lives of believers through the attack of shame and guilt and how the spread and the advance of God's glory is one of our greatest weapons. Well, I want to thank you for your good attention as we have made our way through this study of the strategy of the enemy. It must be brought to the attention of the Christian that you are in a war. You're in it right now, whether you know it or not, it's happening. And that we ourselves are not called to be those who are ignorant to Satan's schemes. He indeed has a playbook drawn up with offensive schemes against you, against the church, and ultimately against our Lord Jesus. And so as we together have studied this over these past weeks, I, I want to just remind you some of the ground that we've covered. Remember that pride is that, that um, primal sin, that original sin that leads to all others. Pride, this idolatry of self that wants to follow my way above God's way was what caused Satan to fall in the beginning. It's what caused our grandfather, grandmother, Adam and Eve to turn and rebel and go their own way. It's what causes you and me to seek our own glory above God's. And then we looked at three Sundays as a part one, part two, and part three upon the key aspect of Satan's strategy, which is lies. He's a liar. The devil lies. He's skilled at lying. He does it through deception. He does it through accusation and adulation, making you think you're worse than you are, making you think you're better than you are. The devil also has been rampant at sowing seeds of false teachings into the church. And I'm sure you've encountered these uh, throughout uh, your own journey, your own story, uh, how critical it is for us to be anchored to truth, that we would make sure we don't turn to the right or to the left, but that we follow the straight path that God has laid out for us. You need to know that is the enemy's strategy. Not only that, but he preys upon your sufferings. When you are in a moment of difficulty, that's where he's going to seek to control you through fear. Take good heart, for we know the one who has conquered the grave and death. Jesus Christ has come to destroy him who holds the power over death. And so you have nothing to fear. You need to know as well that one of the key strategies of the enemy is to divide. To take God's people and cause you to harbor bitterness in your heart. You're going to sin against each other. No amen to that? Of course you are. You're going to sin. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen in ways that are largely characterized under this banner of miscommunication, misunderstanding. Very, very rarely do I ever encounter in shepherding a church that there is malicious intent. Praise God. Praise God that you're not actively trying to destroy one another. That, that does happen, by the way, in some places. I'm grateful that I don't see that often here. But I do see a lot of misunderstandings. I do see a lot of preoccupation towards resting judgment upon my opinions. I want you to know that the devil's at work there. 
And the devil's desire is to seek to destroy and to lead you astray and ultimately to conquer us through division. This morning, we're going to look one last time, even though there are many, many others, as I was making my sermon notes, um, I have a whole list of other ways that I'm able to articulate through God's word strategies of the devil, but we kind of need to move on to. And so let me just give you one more big one. And for us this morning, I want you to, I want us to see the result. This is one way of determining the strategy of an enemy is you ask, what's their goal? What's the result of the activity of the evil one in your life? What is it that he's seeking to accomplish through his attack of you? And when we can understand that, we actually might be able to get a keen understanding of the strategy behind it. Do you know the devil knows that he's beaten? Do you know that? He knows he's beaten. And so why continue to fight? What's, what's the reason behind it? The, the strategy behind it is the devil hates the glory of God. He hates the glory of God. More than anything, the devil despises the name of Jesus being lifted high. And so in order to continue to pull away from that which would bring God glory, which you need to understand, God's not concerned with this. God's glory will prevail. He and his glory are the greatest thing that you and I can ever have. And whether it's through our obedience or rebellion, God will be glorified. So we don't need to concern ourselves on God's perspective. It's your missing out that the devil is seeking to draw you away from. The greatest thing for you is to elevate Jesus in your life. And if the devil can just stop that from happening, he will make you, and here's the theme, he will make you ineffective. That's his goal. The end result of Satan's attacks is to take you as somebody who's in the game and sit you back on the bench. That's the devil's scheme. When I was a kid... um, Christmas was always a wonderful time in my home, and my mom did a great job decorating our tree. Uh, If you ever get a chance to visit, she has a beautiful collection of only wooden ornaments. They're they're really beautiful. Um, uh, These are Christmas lights that would be on the tree, and me, the tinkerer in my family, discovered an interesting fact about these lights, which is if you remove one of the lights, the rest don't go out. Did you know that? Long ago, that was the case. You, you could remove one light and the whole strand would go out. Why was I removing these? I don't even remember, but I discovered you could remove the lights. And so being this snotty little teenager that I was, what I would do is I would remove them, but I'd just leave them in there like that. So they looked like they were burnt out. And then I would see how many of them I could do. Now, I wasn't doing this to bother my mom or drive my dad. I don't know why I was doing this. But it was the interesting thing is that it was still connected to the cord, right? It was still part of the chain, but its light had gone out. It was functionless. It was purposeless. It, it, uh, sometimes, even on these newer ones, in fact, I was going to demonstrate it with this one, but sometimes with the strands, it does cause the others around it to go up as well. Do you know that's what the devil wants to do with you? He, he, he knows he cannot. If you, if you are in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, he knows he's not going to get you in hell. He knows that you are purchased of God. He knows you're not a goat. You're a sheep, that you belong to the good shepherd. He knows that. So he, he knows he can't completely remove you. He just, want to make sure, he just wants to make your light go out. That's what the devil wants. And in his strategy and scheme over us, 
we will become those who lose our effectiveness, lose our influence. It's a win for the devil when you have zero impact for the glory of God, when you are fruitless, when you, in dealing with your sin and temptation, are literally powerless in your own strength. That is a victory for the devil. There's another component that we've only just briefly mentioned, and I, I, I want to I make sure it's clear again, that we don't have the license to simply say for each and every sin that encounters in your life, the devil made me do it. You don't get to say that. Because the me in there still has responsibility. You still did it. However, as I've mentioned before, the further I've gone in my study of this, the more and more I've seen the devil's working everywhere. He is at work. Everywhere, And I want to give you a little illustration on how I, how I think the devil works with this. Again, when I was a kid in wintertime, it would snow and our house has, um, uh, has a, it's earth sheltered. So there's a hill that leans up against that back wall. And my sister and I, on some fresh snowfalls, we'd climb up on that hill and we'd pack together some snowballs. And have you ever done this before? You roll a snowball down a hill. Have you ever done that? In fact, I'm pretty sure this is a common analogy snowball it's snowballed well what's the point of that that's exactly what happens as it starts moving it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger i think that's what the devil is a little bit like in our lives i I think all it takes for many of us is just a little nudge just a little nudge in the wrong direction and then the devil really doesn't have anything left to do because you take over your life is going to be filled with moments i'm sure your story includes this of deep ruts of sin. You guys know what I mean by a rut? It's easy. It's easy to fall back into it. You might even be in it now without knowing. And so Satan's strategy is just, just to nudge you off course enough that you would fall back into that rut. And then you and I, we do the rest of the hard work ourselves. Snowballing what started out as something small and turning it now into something that makes the light go out. That makes us ineffective. What I'd like us to do for this morning in our final installment is look at a story in the Gospels. Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And we're going to be studying the theme of guilt, shame, and glory. What we're going to do is we're going to read a story of Satan's attack in the life of one of his people. And we're going to see certain themes for which we are going to be able to identify in our own lives a pattern. It's going to be similar to, do you remember those little kids toys where they had a little shape hole and a block in the shape and you had to see if you could fit it in the right hole? That's a little bit what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the story and you're going to see certain shapes that match your own experience. And as we do, we're going to find that there are uh, really three main observations Uh, And three conclusions for which we can draw from this story. Mark chapter 5, if you're with me, uh, please follow along as I read. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. 
and cut himself with stones. When, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. I know we've all familiar, we're all familiar with this story. In dealing with it, we're going to have to address the issue of what is demon possession? What does it look like? And uh, really, for the factor of this message, we're going to have to be careful that we don't get lost in some of the weeds. For there are um, kind of comparative questions as you look at Matthew's account and Mark's account and Luke's account. Instead, what I'd like you to do is look at it from those shapes that I was mentioning. Because there's a few observations that I think we can say in regards to the enemy's goal. Right? Is it not true that the enemy was attacking this man? Is it not true that Satan's demons have infiltrated his mind and heart in order to control him? And so we want to ask the question again, to what end? What was the goal behind all of this influence in his life? Uh, the first observation I want you to know is that the goal of the enemy is to control you. Did you see that happening? Was it not true that the demons were controlling this man? It's not only control, but it's also to lead you into harm. This man used to cut himself with stones. Uh, it would, for an Israelite or for the ear of a Jewish listener, bring back the servants of Baal worship with Elijah as he has the two altars. And under one, 
uh, you have the servants of Baal calling upon their God, not receiving an answer, even resorting to cutting themselves. The goal of the enemy is to lead you into harm. Not only harm, but also to drive you away from life and love and community. Well, in, in this text, where did this poor fellow live? Did you catch it? He, he lived there. He lived in the tombs. How many living people are in the tombs? None. And so you can see that Satan actually isn't very good at camouflaging or, or, or disguising uh, his end goal. It's to drive you away from community. It's to drive you away from the place of finding healthy life and love. I wonder if you've ever felt like this in your own struggle. I wonder if there's ever been a moment in your life where you have felt similar to this. I, I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I wonder if you've ever felt like pursuing some form or practice or behavior that's harmful to yourself. A kind of use of substances or maybe a practice upon your physical body that's actually bringing you harm. I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life that you've realized, I really don't want to do these things, but I'm feeling, I just can't shake it. That doesn't come from God. That is the attack of the enemy. I I think we can clearly see it here. Not, Not simply on this first one to lead you into destruction and harm and away from life and community. There's a second Observation: The goal of the enemy is to, push you, is to push you away from Jesus. To lead you away from your Savior. If you look with me again in verse 6, when he saw Jesus, he comes and he falls at his feet. And in falling at his feet, he says this phrase, what do you want with me? In Hebrew, it's kind of an idiomatic, uh, what, am, what am I to you? It's, it's a way of saying, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. Mind your own business. That would be a good English um, uh, analog to that Hebrew idiom. In English, we have here, what do you want with me? As you compare these stories, you will find that there is this uh, curious insight that the demons seem to have. Do you notice this in verse 7? Swear to God that you won't torture me? Where's that coming from? I mean, this is Jesus we're talking. Has Jesus ever been guilty of torture? Never. And yet it appears that the demons understand that they are defeated. They seem to already recognize that. And in so doing, there will be a judgment leveled against them of which the judge, Jesus, will deliver. In fact, if you look at the comparative stories in Matthew's account, uh, they say, what do you want with the Son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Apparently, they know that there is a time for their judgment. Not only is there time, there's a location. In Luke's gospel, it says they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Have you ever felt like you just don't want to talk to God? Have you ever felt like there was a moment where you didn't want to be around God's people? Have you ever felt like sin had a way of deceiving you? The enemy has so tripped you up that even God seems like the enemy? I ask rhetorically only to save us the time from every single one of us standing up and telling the story of when that occurred in your life. Because you need to remember you're in a battle and this is the goal. This is the goal of the devil. To drive you away from community life. 
to drive you into harm and destruction, to control you, and then to separate you from your Savior. There's a good reason why that's his, his strategy. Uh, we, we, ought to, we ought to remember, uh, you go toe-to-toe with the devil, you will lose. You remember that from last week, right? You facing temptation without the resisting power of Jesus Christ, you will lose. Because he's very effective in his strategy. And the effectiveness of his strategy to separate you from your Savior is tantamount to me taking the plug out of the socket. Or separating the light. Because the light has no strength in itself. The the bulb has no strength in itself to produce light. It must receive power from the source. The devil knows this. In fact, Jesus says it as well. John 15, watch this. I am the vine, says Jesus, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? So what's the devil going to try to do? Get you apart from your Savior. That's his goal. And and we see it clearly. That's exactly what happened to Legion. First of all, he's led out to live among the tombs. He's separated from life and love and community. Uh, Secondly, we see when Jesus shows up, it's a get out of here. I, I don't want you here. Thirdly, the goal of the enemy is to discredit and diminish the name of Jesus. Now, there's all kinds of commentary and thoughts regarding the pigs. It's kind of interesting, right? What's the deal with the pigs? Um, I don't really have the time to move into the realm of speculation. There's a lot of speculation involved in what's happening here. One of the most common ones is perhaps they were Jewish farmers and can Jews raise pigs? Yes or no? No, because it's an unclean animal. So somewhere this was Jesus bringing condemnation over these Jews. Uh, the text doesn't say that. Matthews doesn't say it. Mark doesn't say it. Luke doesn't say it. And so that's kind of an insight you'd have to infer into it. So instead, I'd rather ask the question, well, what actually happens? Like, what, what is the actual end result of the whole pig scenario. And if you're paying close attention, you'll see that it was the demons who requested the pigs. Think about that for a minute. It means there might be a strat- this might be a game plan. There, there may be an effective scheme that's going on in their desire to go into the pigs. Because immediately what happens? Splash. They drown themselves. Which is only a couple of categories. It was either an accident or the pigs did it themselves, or it was the demons who engendered the pigs to do it. Again, the text doesn't tell us, but I think it does lean in one direction because what was the end result? Do you remember the townspeople come out after hearing the report? Right, look with me back into the text. The people rent, verse 14, tending the pigs, they reported all this. This is what happened. By the way, if you lost 2,000 of any of your livestock, that's going to put a pretty big dent in your bottom line, right? All the people see that this is happening. At the same time, verse 15, they see Legion, the, the crazy dude who lived among the dead people. He's now dressed, wearing clothes now. And he's in his right mind. Now, we would think, like you and I, as God-fearing Christians, we'd come to that scenario and be like, this is a miracle, right? This is amazing. But what do they do? Did you see what? Verse 15, they see, they see that and they're, they're afraid. And then those who saw what happened, they witnessed it. They tell about it. They tell about the pigs and look at the end result. Verse 17, all the people bow down and worship Jesus. Is that what happens? All the people invite him over for dinner. Is that what happens? Look what happens. They want him out of there. Get out of here, Jesus. 
We, we, we do not care about you. We don't want to spread your doings. We don't want the fame of your name to continue in our land. We are asking you politely before we call the cops to leave. That was their goal, you guys. That was the demon's goal. That was the whole reason behind the pigs. The demons could, could venture in their mind, if, if this Jesus sticks around here, continuing to do miracles. By the way, the region they're in right here is the Decapolis. It's, uh, Deca means ten, it's, and Polis is city. So ten cities that were Gentile. That's why the pigs weren't a problem. These weren't Jewish cities. These were Gentile cities. And all of these cities now are going to start to hear the message of the miracle worker from Nazareth. But the, the demons say, I know, I know how we can shut this up right now. All we got to do is turn the town folk against him. So his fame does not spread to the nations. Think about that. The Gentile nations are right there. They're right there. Which was always the scope of God. God chose Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And it's right there. Now we know from Deuteronomy that the heavenly hosts have been put in charge over those nations. They want to keep that authority. And so what I submit to you this morning is that the end goal of the enemy is to prevent Jesus' name from being exalted high. And that was the whole reason why the pig scenario happened. Because that's what it says. Okay. This is what we, these, are, these are our observations. This is what we can see happening. Here's what I want us to do now. I want us to transition on these shapes and ask, where does this happen in your life? Where in your life is the enemy seeking to control you, lead you into harm, lead you away from life and love and community? Where in your life is the enemy trying to separate you from God? And where in your life is the enemy seeking to discredit and, and uh, diminish the name of Jesus? So first way I want you to see this in, in terms of conclusion is that any influence, and I'm going to call it a spirit because I think this is a spiritual battle. So any spirit that is motivating you by fear away from community and away from self-care is not from God. Anytime in your life that you're doing one of these on a Sunday morning, I just don't want to go to church. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I especially don't want to see fill in the blank. When that's happening to you, you need to know that is not from God. When, when you are being led into, you know what? I can, no, I can, have another, I can handle another drink. You, you know what? I, I, can, I can take another smoke. You know what? I can take whatever negative, harmful thing in my life that's going to make me feel better, that thing which the devil's going to tempt you towards because of the corruption of your flesh. That is not from God. Legion was led into harm. Legion was led away from community. Uh, I think I have a term for this in our life. I think it's called guilt. I think it's called guilt. Have you ever felt guilty? Yes? Nobody in church ever felt guilty? Yeah. yeah. Uh, guilt was never part of God's design. It is a product of breaking his laws. So if you break what God has said, the feeling for which you will be flooded with is guilt. And do you know what guilt will do? You will not want to raise your head 
you will not want to be around people and you are very likely to start pursuing things that are harmful for you. Uh, Guilt is a connection. It's a personal connection with an event or with a sin or a practice. And so I started to think this week, why, why would we still feel guilty for, I've got, I've got this verse, this is awesome, right? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You have this verse? Is this yours? Yep. Yes, this, uh, this is your verse. So why do you still feel guilty? Uh, as far, how far is east from west? As far as it possibly could be then why on earth am I plagued with guilt? And so I tried to come up with some reasons. Um, Number one I wrote down was fear of consequences. Sometimes we still feel guilty because there are extenuating consequences to our sin and we don't want those. And so we still carry this sense of guilt. Uh, It may be because of something in the past. So regret would be that issue. Or is a primarily an attack from the devil as a reminder of our sin. Has that ever happened to you? Has the, has the devil ever showed up when you weren't looking for him just to remind you what a crappy person you are? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what the devil wants to do. It may also be a failure in your understanding what forgiveness means. You, you may just have a, a underdeveloped, immature understanding of what forgiveness means. You may be, this is a big one, the reason why you still feel guilty is because you haven't stood upon God's declaration of who you are. Instead, you still judge your own worth through the eyes of others. And anyone, that's me. Yeah, that, that's one I struggle with. I, I still worry about what other people think of me and I know I'm not good. Therefore, I still carry this guilt. It may also be because you still sin. Any sinners in church today? You still struggle with the same patterns of sin. So how in the world can this be true for me if I'm still a sinner? And then the seventh one I wrote down was, uh, we might not believe that Jesus' blood is enough. It's a failure of our understanding the atoning work of the one and only Son of God. So which is it? I I just listed out seven of them. Maybe some some others that aren't here. I wanted to read for you um, out of a book that was written back in 1652. Old book, 1652. This is by Thomas Brooks. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. (laughs) It's the series. Thomas was doing the same series that we're doing back in 1652. Uh, Right in the very middle. Listen to this. This is one of Satan's biggest devices against us. The first device that Satan hath to keep souls in sad, doubting, questioning condition, and so making their life a hell, is by causing them to still be pouring and musing upon sin, to mind their sins more than their Savior. Yea, so to mind their sins as to forget, yea, to neglect their Savior. Their eyes are so fixed upon their disease that they cannot see the remedy, though it be near. And they do not muse upon their debts, that they have neither mind nor heart to think of their surety. So he says, here's the remedy. So he's doing counterattacks, just like we're doing. I I love this. This is the coolest thing. It's the exact same series we're in. Here he says, counterattack number one. He calls it remedy. Remedy number one. The first remedy is for weak believers to consider. Listen. That though Jesus Christ has not freed them from the presence of sin, 
Yet he hath freed them from the damnatory power of sin. Did you catch it? You're you're still going to have sin in your life. You will. And the devil will use that fact to place condemnation and guilt over you. This is what the Bible says in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Church, that's worth, that's worth a party, right? That, that's worth the stream, you know, and the fire. Like, that's the whole of the gospel. I, I, I want you to know, it's no question that that's the exact thing that Satan's going to attack. He's going to press you with guilt to keep you with the end result from living in community, from living in life, and pursuing self-harm. Secondly, any influence or any spirit that moves you away from Jesus is not from God. That seems almost obvious. Any spirit that moves you away from Jesus, this is not from God. One of the very first places that we see this happening is in Jesus calling the disciples. So when he calls Peter, this was an amazing thing that happens. By the way, this is where I want you to see the second example. It's not guilt, it's now shame. This is what shame does. Shame is this separation of you from your Savior. Because shame is different than guilt. Guilt is something that's connected to an event or a sin. But shame is you. That's, that's on me. It's connected to the person And so this is what happens as Jesus is calling the disciples. Luke chapter 5, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in deep water, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night, haven't caught anything, but because you said so, we'll let down the nets. So when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Do you see it? Do you see what the devil's already doing? Do you see what shame does? Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Do we remember this showing up in the garden? Do you remember? Adam and Eve, they sin. And immediately, what's the text say? And their eyes were opened and they saw that they were, they saw that they were naked. Um, personal shame connected to them. And so what does anybody do who's being attacked with shame? What do they do? What Adam and Eve do? What do they do? They hide. hide. And here it is in the text, just so you see it here. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and so they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, "I, I heard you, and I was afraid That's the one we just studied, right? Guilt is connected with fear. I was afraid because I was naked. There's the shame. And shame causes you to hide from the source, the remedy of your problem. The very one who's going to fix everything. That's the one that you are going to be drawn away from. It's exactly what happened to Legion. Jesus shows up. Jesus only with the power to deliver him. And he says, what the heck are you doing here? I don't want you here. Away from me. Any influence or spirit that moves you away from Jesus is not from God. And then thirdly, any spirit that recoils at God's remedy of the blood of Jesus is also not from God. 
This one has to do, this one's a little bit deeper. This one has to do with glory. Because here's the amazing thing. The book of Revelation teaches us that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's an interesting little phrase. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation, before time began. That God had this in mind. And the reason God had this in mind was to make sure that Jesus receives all credit and glory for our salvation and our redemption. All credit and glory goes to him. Now, if you've ever had a problem in your life that you couldn't fix, maybe it was an automotive problem. I know I was talking to Jana this morning. Bob Blockland, awesome man. We're going to miss him, see him in eternity. But that dude could fix anything. And when I had a problem, I could, I could bring it to Bob and he could do what I could not do for myself. Or maybe you've got some sort of a medical thing that's going on in your life. I know that the first time I came up here to see Doc Jacobs, I had what was a pain in my tooth. And as he dug around in there, he found a couple other pains too. Now, do you know how good I am at filling my own cavities? Pretty bad. I couldn't do it. But there's something in the heart of a man that doesn't really want to go and ask for help with a mechanic or is afraid of a dentist and wants to pull away from that. Is this, is this your story at all ever? That you've got a little bit of sense of pride in your own life that you'd rather take care of it yourself than ask for help? Do you know what happens when you do that? You're, you're, you're kind of stealing from the person who can fix it. Because when Bob fixed my snowblower, when Bob fixed the lawnmower, do you know who I thanked? I think Bob. When, when Paul fixed my tooth, do you know who I thanked? I thanked Paul. And do you know when Jesus saved my soul? Do you know who I think? I think Jesus. Amen. Satan knows this. There's a really great parable that Jesus gives. A woman who is anointing Jesus' feet. Pharisees who say, this woman, this woman, if he knew who was touching him. And so Jesus tells this story. And at the end of it, he ends with this. Whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. And whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That's what the devil's trying to do in your life. The devil is trying to get you to devalue the blood of Jesus. Do you know what you need for your guilt? It's the blood of Jesus. Do you know what you need for your shame? It's the blood of Jesus. And the devil is going to do his best to try to keep you from bringing those to the foot of the cross. Because he knows it will result in praise and thanksgiving. And honor to the king of kings. He knows that that's the result of it. So he's trying to stop you from getting there. Um, I want to take just a quick detour. And I know Emily's going to ask me to hurry up. So um, (laughs) it's a quick detour. Quick detour. Turn with me uh, to the book of Revelation real quick. The book of Revelation. We're only going to read one chapter. (laughs) (laughs) If you think I'm joking, we totally are. All right. Revelation chapter 12. Hold hold your spot and mark. We're going to flip back there in a minute. I'm going, to, I'm going to repeat this conclusion. Any influence that recoils at God's remedy for the blood of Jesus, that's not from God. And I don't know if you realize this, but people today are trying to solve their sins in every which way except the blood of Jesus. I mean, they're going to go for counseling or therapy. They're going to go to the bar. They're going to go to a neighbor. They're going to go out in the woods. They're going to go fishing. That's what Peter did after he, he uh, uh, denied Jesus, went back fishing, right? People are going to do any and everything they can except the one thing to fix it. Revelation chapter 12, verse one. 
A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on their heads. His tail sucked a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so so that he might devour her child the moment that it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Now, this is actually one of the easier places to interpret the book of Revelation. All of the symbolism that's happening here is a depiction of a symbol that showed up in Eden. Do you remember the curse to the serpent? Go with me. Go back into the garden. God comes. He addresses Adam. Adam says it was the woman. God goes to the woman. The woman says it was the the snake. And so God says to the snake, after he places a curse upon him to crawl on his belly, he says, I will put enmity between your offspring and hers. And so what you have in the garden is a depiction of a little woman and a little snake. That's what this is right here. This is now the typology of that woman with seen in heaven. And another, the typology of that serpent seen in heaven now as a dragon. And so that's what's happening. The child is obviously Jesus. Satan is wanting to kill this child. But this is a fulfillment of Genesis. This is exactly the fulfillment of what Jesus said. He will strike your heel, but you you will what? He will crush your head, he says to, this, to the serpent. All right, verse seven. So this is, this is that happening. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. You might see the wound to the head. It's gonna show up in the next chapter too, by the way. But verse nine, the, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called, this, called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. By the way, that's now. That, that is what the church on earth is intended to be. We are to be the presence of God's kingdom on earth and the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. For the accuser of our brothers, that's Satan, remember? That's what the the word devil literally means, one who accuses. Accuses of our brothers, who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Do you see it? It wasn't by some superhuman strength of your ability. Seriously, how much ability do you have to beat sin? How's that going in your life? Right? You figure out your own tools. How well are you? You know what we're good at? We're not good at stopping sin. We're good at hiding it. That's what we're good at. We're good at justifying it. We're good at blaming it on the culture. That's what we're really good at. Do you know what we're really bad at? Is defeating it. Except what's this say? They overcame by the blood of the lamb. I want you to know it is the blood of the lamb. It's the lamb, it's Jesus who receives all the thanks and praise for the victory over the devil. That's what the text says. In addition to that is the word of their testimony. Their testimony meaning Jesus. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This is exactly what Jesus says when he says, anybody who wants to save his life will lose it. 
And so they, they were like, okay, we, we're not going to try to save our lives. Not because they think lowly of their lives, but because they think highly of Jesus. Therefore, now watch this. This is going to be a bummer. Everybody ready for this? Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Look at that. That was the same thing the demons were saying to Jesus with legion. Do you remember? Have, Have you come to torture us? Have you come here to punish us before the appointed time to throw us into the abyss? They know, church, they know their time is short. Keep, keep going with me. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two great wings of a great eagle so she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from the mouth of the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman. By the way, I would love to just explain all this to you just real briefly. The water of the river here is representative of nations that are going to hate and despise this woman. And you would be correct in thinking, is that woman Israel? Yeah, that's exactly what the situation is. They will overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But, verse 16, the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon, watch this, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Those, see if you can tell who this is, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who is that? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. It's like half of you did it. Listen. He's, he's, he's attacking you. You might, even if you're a keen observer in this, look at the two uh, qualifiers for who he's attacking. Who obey God's commandments. Do you know that's called orthopraxy? Obedience to what Jesus taught. Oh yeah, we just studied that, like our last series in uh, the Great Commission. And then, um, and hold to the, the testimony of Jesus. The, the right teaching that comes about Jesus. That's called orthopraxy. Or orthodoxy is that one. Yeah, so we, you get a B minus on that exam real quick. <laughs> orthodoxy and orthopraxy right there. We're talking about the church. He's coming to make war against you. You can flip back to Matthew 5 right now. I want you to know any influence that requires against the remedy of the blood of Jesus, that is not from God. That's what the devil is doing. One last thing on our little sidetrack here is that I want you to see that this shows up all the way back in Genesis again. Do you remember what God does for the naked man and woman? He clothes them. God clothes them. And so it's right here. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Just a few little foreshadows in that. Uh, God graciously provided this. They didn't deserve it. Uh, It was a covering. The The word that we translate from Hebrew for atonement literally means covering. And it was the shedding of innocent blood. It wasn't the animals who sinned. Right, these skins that are being made, coming from the innocent animals, all are going to be foreshadows of the one who will give his blood, the one who will be graciously giving, and the one whose blood will cover over your sins in Jesus. This shows up in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God 
And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so we've sung about it this morning. It's the blood of Jesus. These conclusions are all the key things that are going to affect what we do with it. So I want to offer you these three counterattacks. We're almost done. We almost made it. Ready? For guilt, i got to make a big deal of this one. I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet. What is the counterattack for the devil's scheme against you? It is confession. It's to confess your sins. Confess your sins. The, the devil wants to come and show you your sin, to point it out as this heaviness over you. And you know what you're going to be tempted to do? You're going to be tempted to hide, to say, no, that's not true. Stop it. Stop trying to run away from it. And instead, say about your sin what God says about your sin, that it's designed to separate you from his love. And so confess it, not in a way that you need a special priest to do any sort of special blessing over you, not like that, but you go one-on-one with God. And if your sin is against one of us, go to them. And even more than that, if you have a kind of sin in your life that is controlling you, for goodness sake, would you please come tell me? Which might sound funny. (laughs) Or tell an elder. Or tell someone who you trust. Because the longer that you try to battle this thing on your own, what you're going to find is that someone else has been battling it too. And maybe their success in, in their life can translate into yours. But the devil wants to keep you hidden from this. We need to confess our sins and to confess them by looking at our Savior. By looking at Jesus. Do you remember this was read already? Jesse helped us with it. Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Keep silent. Don't tell anybody. No one no. Shh, For day and night, your hand is heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and look at the result. And he forgave the, there it is. The guilt. The Hebrew of this says the wrongdoing of my sin. God's going to forgive the wrongdoing. I can't tell you how amazing this is. This is going to shut the devil right up. He will not have anything to hold against you when you say, you're right. You say I'm a sinner? I am. I am. And Jesus is going to save me from my sin. I want you to see just real quickly um, a few more examples of that. So shame is the second one. What is our counterattack for shame? Cover yourself with Christ. The Bible will use a similar word, clothe yourself with Christ. This is what the word atonement means. It means that my, my sins, as they are present in my mind, attached to me, as long as those are visible, I will be controlled by shame and it will lead me away from Jesus. But when I embrace Jesus and I let Jesus clothe me with his righteousness, guess what you don't see anymore? You don't see this nakedness of my sin. You don't see the shame of my transgression because I'm clothed in Christ. And this is ultimately, I can see it's going to take a little bit more for me to unpack, but a couple verses, Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. This is who I am now. It's a change in identity. I am connected to Jesus. This from Philippians 3, brothers and sisters. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind 
and strain towards what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to come and tell you about your past. He wants to remind you of what you did. And he wants to press that shame over you once more. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not arrived in heaven yet. I'm not there yet. But do you know what I am doing? I'm not worrying about all that in the past. The blood of Jesus has covered it. One more. This is a beautiful one. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. This is such good news. This is what you need to do. If you don't do this, shame will control you and you will constantly be battling against being drawn near to your Savior. So what's the answer? Cover yourself in Christ. Cover yourself in Christ. It looks like meditating on it every moment. It looks like taking those thoughts that the devil wants to control you with captive. Don't let them control you any longer. One more, one last one. This is a good one. It's glory. How do you, this is a beautiful one. How do you handle guilt and shame? You give God glory. You communicate your testimony of Jesus. Church, I want you to know, even in this past week, I was teaching you about temptation. And there were moments in my week, last week, where I could hear that serpent voice trying to lead me and think that I would dwell upon something that I should have rejected in my life. And so, do you remember in review, you were to resist. Do you guys remember this? This is the key counterattack for Christians. Resist the devil and he will, he will flee from you. And I give you three ways to do that. You're to resist through warring. I'm trying to remember myself as I'm saying that. Word. Word. Was what? Word. Word. Through the word, right? So, so recalling God's word into your heart, in your mind, that you will not sin against God. The second was clothing yourself. The same one we're talking about. Through the character of God. It was, it was the third one, though. It was the third one that I decided to try out. Resist by worship. And so, so as I was driving and these thoughts started to enter into my mind, I just said, I'm so sick of this. And I just started to sing. I, I don't know. I don't remember which hymn it was. But I just started to sing it. Whatever it was that I could capture in my heart, which is part of God's word through those hymns, I just started to sing. And I sang in my truck. And all the deer were like, what's happening to that? Do you know what I, do you know what I had at the end of that song? I had, I had peace. I had peace. I was free from it because I was using the vessel that God has given me to bring him glory and worship. And I don't want you to miss this, that if you look back with me in Mark chapter five, you have legion and legion is now transformed. And Jesus is getting kicked out of the Decapolis, right? They're like, we want you to leave. And so legion runs and he's like, Jesus, I want to I follow you. I want to go with you. Do you remember what? And you would think Jesus would be like, come on, dude, we're so happy to have you. We can't wait for you to share as we're ministering in all these other places. But that's not what Jesus says. Do you remember what Jesus says to him? Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You don't get to come with us. I have something better for you. I want you to go to the nations. I want you to go back to the Decapolis. And I want you to tell them. As far as I can tell, this is the first missionary that we have sent out in the scriptures. That Jesus heals this man, transforms his life. And do you want to know the very best way that you can battle against guilt and against shame? Go be a missionary. That's the very best thing that you can do. And I don't know if that catches you by surprise, but I want you to know at the end of this whole story, that's the thing that will offend the devil the most, is that you decide to leave this place and go and proclaim the the wonder and the glory and the transforming work of God in your life. 
That is really going to make the devil's day crummy. He hates that. He hates it. I want you to know as we've wrapped this up, that it is the spread of God's glory across this earth that the devil is fighting against tooth and nail. He hates it. He wants to make war against those who hold to the testimony of Jesus and obey his commandments. And so if you want to go into battle with me, come on, you ready? Put your gloves on. This is the playbook. This is it. You can review these messages. We're not going to come back to it unless we get further down the road and there's more to say. But until that time, listen, go be a missionary. Go be a missionary. Go be a missionary. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.